0: everybody, and welcome to the very 107th Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. 107! If this podcast was a person, that person would be old. My name's Quinton Smith, and I'm joined by Matt Lees. Hello! And Tom Brewster. Hello! To talk about board games. How are you two doing, guys? I'm
1: alright. I'm okay too. Surviving, thriving, going slowly insane.
0: What do we think constitutes thriving in these trying times?
1: (laughs) What is thriving right now? I've actually got it behind me uh, where I'm recording this right now. Is my tapache jar, which (laughs) is a pineapple drink ferment that I've been brewing for the past couple days. I've stuck googly eyes to it. Boy, it's threatening. (laughs) Oh my god, that sounds
0: so good.
2: You're pickling pineapples.
1: Well, okay, so here's the thing. Uh, I was pickling pineapples originally to make pineapple cheese and sriracha sandwiches. Don't judge me. They're really, really tasty. That sounds now, great. That sounds really good. Okay, yeah. good. I'm glad that we're all on board with pineapple cheese and sriracha sandwiches. But uh, I discovered this recipe uh, online for tapache, uh, and I've decided to make some. Basically, you get a pineapple, you put it in a jar, you fill it with water and sugar and ginger and cinnamon and chili peppers. And then you just let it sit and ferment for like a couple days you get a nice, Mm. slightly alcoholic pineapple brew. Here's the thing, though. Mm. Uh, Because it's like actively fermenting, and you can see the carbonation in it, it might explode at any time, and the fact I've stuck googly eyes to it makes it all the more threatening. (laughs) Like, it's sat in my cupboard waiting for the time to strike. It's the (laughs) idea
0: that this unblinking creature is in the corner of your room, and if it ever chooses to express itself, it only has one way of doing that, which is detonation.
1: It's uh, it's great. Every time I move it, I see it fizz up a little bit more and I get, I'm like, is this it? Is this what I'm going to die by an exploding purple bomb? <laughs> can you not like,
2: can you not like let a bit of the air out?
1: Yeah, no, no It's it's got a, a kind of like a, a self burping lid because it's like a mason okay. jar that I've got an elastic band tied round so that if it ever gets too much gas, it goes like and just like spits a little bit <laughs> <head> out. <laughs> I You're like making
0: it. sourdough as well. Uh, do I detect a fan of "It's Alive" um, the series about fermented foods by Bon Appetit? When
1: I say that I found it online, I might be guilty of watching the Bon Appetit Test Kitchen make a lot of food.
0: <laughs> I am it's such a, a huge fan series. of the
1: Test Kitchen. It's great.
0: Uh, yeah, I for me, what I've been up to recently, because in in the distant future, um, next week, I intend to put out a video on solo games. So I've been playing a lot of solo games uh, recently, board games for just one player. And I'll tell you two something, I didn't feel alone in self-isolation until I started playing solo (laughs) games. (laughs) Uh, I was pretty good, you know, in my flat. I can look out the window, I can see people, you know, I can talk to my wife, I can uh, can talk to people online. There's a feeling of being connected, you know, even though we're all in self-isolation. When you're playing a solo board game, let me tell you, that feeling goes away. (laughs) You are very alone, you're at a table. And, uh, yeah, for more of these kind of uh, disturbing revelations, look forward to my my video next week, which will be uh, interesting.
2: I've been yeah we'll talk about it a bit later but uh, I've been doing some some solo streaming on uh, on Twitch and there's something about that which is also deeply lonely. It's not when <laughs> I'm it's not when I'm doing it. Weirdly, I have a nice time just talking to myself when I'm doing it, but it's always when I like leave it when I when I stop and walk away. I have this tremendous feeling of just having had a, like a three hour long conversation with someone, but there was no one there. <laughs> oh, wow. And it's just suddenly like really really sad. Oh. So yeah.
0: Uh, On the plus, when this is not going to be a sad podcast. I should have done this earlier, (laughs) but I'm going to jump in and say the games we're going to be talking about on this episode, starting in just a minute, are City of the Big Shoulders, a big board game for big people who like to make big money. Uh, We're going to be talking about Last Bastion, um, which is actually a remake of a game called Ghost Stories. And we're going to have a quick conversation about uh, whether they should be tried in The Hague for retheming it. Uh, You two have been playing a lot of the Through the Ages app, the digital implementation of um, popular board game Through the Ages. So that is going to mark maybe Shut Up and Sit Down's first foray into digital games since we talked about the digital implementation of Carcassonne many moons ago. And, Mm. uh, yeah, we're going to be talking a little bit about the videos and streaming that we have been doing recently.
2: Recently. Recently. So first up on today's roster, we've been teasing it for ages. It's time to talk about City of the Big Shoulders, a game of people in top hats in Chicago making mad, mad money just before everything goes sour. Do you guys know that back in the day, Chicago was a bustling, brimming explosion of shoulders and money? Did you know about this?
1: I think it was known as the City of the Big Shoulders, one might say. It was, I think. Really?
2: Yeah, but it was it was a huge, huge economic business superpower. Just before the Great Depression in America, Chicago was where it was all kicking off. They're exporting pork and shoes and leather and machinery, like no one's business. Apparently it was just mad. And actually so many really big companies from that era still are around today, as we discovered when we played City of the Big Shoulders, roll VT. Um yeah, it's absolutely wonderful in the fact that you've got all these different companies you can buy in the game. And one of them, this is something for the UK or Europeans listening, one of them was called the Fairy Soap Company. And it was like, oh yeah, you know, because of the fact that they had a huge business with meats, they had a lot of fat and they made soap out of it. And this, this yeah. And it said the Fairy Soap Company uh, is still exists and is a a brand popular within Europe. And it's like, oh, that's Fairy Liquid. So Fairy Liquid (laughs) is the company that was born in the City of the Big Shoulders, which I thought was quite fun. But yeah, so there's been a, a faintly educational vibe to the whole of my playing City of the Big Shoulders, having all of these different companies, some of whom don't exist anymore, but a bunch of whom actually are still going. And you think, oh, this thing came about here in this place, and everyone was making tons of money just before everyone then wasn't making tons of money. And I think right now, more than anything, I think it's been really interesting to play a game which is about a kind of pre-bust era. <laughs> it's uh, It's been interesting. But anyway, City of the Big Shoulders is a pretty fabulous Euro game. And I have to say that tentatively, because I've only played it once with three people, but I get the sense it's very good. It's one of these horrendously complicated stocks and shares Euro games in which you can basically have multiple companies Making multiple amounts of money. And you, as the player, are kind of this nebulous character behind that who also has their own supply of money and can choose to use your actions to dip in and out of different companies, giving them different amounts of love on each turn. And quite wonderfully, there's about half a page in the manual. And we mentioned this before, which is just about explaining some important concepts about money, (laughs) which is basically just trying to say, hey, Like, I know you own this company and it's got all this money, but that money isn't actually your money. And it's basically just explaining the principle of being like, you need to have three separate banks, one for company A, one for company B, and one for you. As with other stocks and shares games, it allows people to buy into your companies by buying shares. And it's quite exciting in the fact that that money is then going into the reserves of the company that you're in control of. Now, you start off the company and you, you, you choose what level of dividends you're buying into and you choose how, like, how valuable the shares are going to be at the start of the game. But then after you've spent that initial money, which goes from your pockets as the owner into the company's pockets, after that company's run out of money, the only way for it to get new money is for it to make profits by creating and selling goods, which is tricky, or ideally... New people are going to buy shares in the company, and that cash goes straight into their coffers. And I mean, I think the last game I played which had stocks and shares in it was Irish Gage. And in in these games, and the thing is, I've not really played that many games like this, which are kind of these f- f- proper 18xx style games of you own the company, but then other people buy shares in it to such a degree. But it's, it's so exciting to have something whereby you somebody just invests really heavily in your company and suddenly you've got all of their cash to then play with and you can hire staff and you can buy materials and you can upgrade your factories and all this stuff, get a manager in to manage your factory, get an extra salesperson so you can get them out on the streets of Chicago telling everyone, hey, you heard about this pork? You got to buy some of this guy's pork. It's the best pork in Chicago. And it's incredibly exciting. But the wonderful thing about it for me was the point in our game where I got crushed by someone because they'd bought enough shares in my company, which was brilliant. So much money. had so much money. But then, at a crucial point in the game... They sold all of their shares, tanking the stock price dramatically, and basically leaving me ruined. As they cackled from across the table, having a wonderful time.
0: So this is what I want to hear more about. Because whenever you hear about these eighteen XX stock games, you know I understand. I'm feel happy to say that I understand how you know if I have a company and I'm running it as part of the board game, and someone else wants to buy into my success, they can buy a share, and then we kind of co own the company. That makes sense. But what you always hear about is this idea of tanking share price and that defining the game and I don't understand it at all so can you shine a kind of light from your big shoulders down to me ignorant
2: well, yeah, as we've done many times, um, I'm basically going to be explaining actual economic and company based <laughs> principles <laughs> live on a podcast. But um, yeah, the, basically, uh, economies are all about confidence, and it's just they don't really exist, and it's just a case of people staring at tea leaves and going, "Oh, it looks bad," and then all of the banks collapse, and th- that's how the stock market works. And so it, it replicates that by having something whereby companies doing really well. Yeah. It's got the share price. Yeah. And then they decide someone decides to sell lots of their shares all at once. That causes people to go, well, what's going on? What's going on with this? And then everyone gets worried and thinks, well, there must be something going on that we don't know about. And so the share price drops. And okay. that's that's as simple as it is. But the way it works in City of the Big Shoulders is that you can effectively, by making huge amounts of money, every time you make money, your company makes money. You can choose to either keep the money, yeah. at which point the share price goes down because your stock stockholders get a bit annoyed because they think, well, hang on a minute, we bought shares in this company so we could make some mad money money. And Instead, what you're doing here is keeping all the money for the company and reinvesting in it, which might be a good choice, but it means that your investors aren't happy. It's not as attractive a stock, so it gets a little bit less valued. Or whenever you make money, you can choose to pay out dividends. And When you pay out dividends, it just means that You literally just split the profits exactly based on who has what share. So if I've got 30% share, I'll get 30% of those profits. And the way it works in the game is then the multiplication of like, you look at how much money you've paid out all at once. So if I pay out $250 and I needed $100 and then $120 for the next share prices, And then it means that you can go up and you can leap up. So if I make loads of money all at once and I pay it all out, then it means, hey, I can then jump up the stock prices because people go, hey, you got to invest in this soap company, Charlie. Like they just, I put a bit of money in and I just got all this cash out of it because, you know, that's what investors want. They want cash out of it. And the thing, the mechanic that becomes really crucial within City of Big Shoulders is that Before your share price gets to a certain point, you can only move up one stage on the share price each time there's a sale, which means if you make a sale of $200, but you can only go up one stage, then you only would use like, you go up to $70 a share and you have all this other kind of money you've just spent out, which was kind of worthless, but then you get over a certain part and then you can go up two spaces if the total cost of those two share levels is included within the money you just made. But then you get to another point, and now it's kind of like, all bets are off, you can go up to three each time. So if you make enough money all at once, then you can go bang and knock up your share price from $100 a share to like, you know, 180 And at the end of the game, if you've got like a 60% share in that company, that's going to be huge, just a huge amount of points of money coming in at a later stage. Does all of that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. So let's say you and me both have shares in this company and the the shares are getting more and more and more valuable. Does that make it almost like a game of chicken? Because if either of us sold all of our shares, it would make us money, but screw the other player?
2: Kind of. I mean, I think basically... It, it, you have to play with the advanced rules of the game to have it so that you can actually lose ownership of your company. Like oh, in this, wow. you are always going to, which makes sense because that would literally mean that you could you could sell all of your shares and then you would just literally hand your little board with all of the pieces <laughs> and stuff over to someone else and be like, it's yours now, which I think would be brilliant. But no, generally in the base game, it's always going to be your company. You're always going to have like 30% stake in it. You can sell the rest if you want. But generally speaking, you know, selling your stocks and shares to the bank is not the best idea. You can get some cash, but then when other people buy them up, it's, it's a nice balance in the fact that it's more that what happens is in the early game, you think, yeah, sure. I got some cash. I'll buy some stocks in someone else's company. And it's not necessarily that you think, okay, well, I'm going to, they're doing well. I'm going to make some money, but you think, well, yeah, I'm going to make some money back on that. But then as it gets on, you look towards the end of the game and you try and have to work it out. You're like, What's it worth to me? Like if I've got 30% in someone's company, is it worth me just keeping that and letting the stock prices go up and then me benefiting at the end of the game from that? Or is it worth me now shorting the stock and selling it all to make it jump down? And what happened to me was I just managed to get myself into the bracket where from now on, every time I made a sale each turn, I would be able to go up three stages at once. So really I was I was just at the point of really exploding. And then when someone else sold their stocks in my company, it knocked it back down into the stage where (laughs) it it could only go up one each turn, which at that point in the game was just absolutely killer. It was just me properly kneecapped. And the only reason they were able to do it is because um, they had 20% share and someone else had 10% share. Um, but the person who had 10% share had sold their 10% share to the bank. And then the other person had just snaffled it up from the bank when I wasn't really paying attention. <laughs> and so suddenly they ended up having quite a big... But I think what's wonderful is the person I was I was playing this with who was cackling as they destroyed my business was Clark, somebody we'd play a bunch of board games with and who famously doesn't really like this kind of game at all. Like hard economic um, euros, but had a wonderful time. And I think that says a lot about city big shorts because it's easy to talk about you know it's back and forth of of uh you know shorting stocks and bumping them up but it is tremendously satisfying to watch these little machines run to look at what's on the market to buy up some livestock uh to fulfill these things and and then maybe consider buying a second company and bringing them in it has a wonderful flow to it it doesn't go on for too long and yeah, I think it really manages to, to, to balance it so that you're always quite excited about everything happening. When someone's buying into your company, that's tremendously exciting because suddenly you have this massive flush amount of capital that you can use to make that company really successful. But then as soon as that money runs out, you're immediately in the position of them being like, well, is this person going to continue to care about this company? Or are they just going to, you know, because every time you're raising the share price you're raising the points you're going to get at the end of the game, but you're also raising the chance that the people who've invested in it are just going to go, Ooh, I can sell
0: these two for like $400. <laughs> oh, wow. That's, great. um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty neat. Um, so I'm in that unusual position of having this box in front of me, um, because I have my own review copy of city of the big shoulders, uh, which I've just seen, uh, it has this subtitle stormy husky brawling.
2: Yeah, which that is actually embroidered on the cube bag. I hate it when you get like, embroidered bags in games that have the logo of the game embroidered on the bit bag. I think it's just really lame. There's so many more interesting things you could do. But in this one, I'll let it off because it says City of the Big
1: Shoulders and it has brawly husking brooding or whatever it says. Also,
2: the inside of the box
1: lid. Do you want to open yeah, that? that and that, have a look at that? that's the last line of the inside of the, the poem, isn't it? On the inside of the box. Stormy husking Oh, brawling.
0: yeah! I shared this in the company Slack as soon as I saw it. Yeah, more poetry in board game boxes is a thing I didn't think I stood for, but apparently I do. <laughs>
2: Yeah. It's um it's a thing. It's I wasn't expecting to love it as much as I did. The artwork in it is is minimal, but where it is there, it's pretty bad. Um <laughs> some of the pictures of characters on the uh the, the player boards are just really misjudged <laughs> at best and it has an incredibly low-fi um graphic design, you know, aesthetic that is very basic at best.
1: I thought that the it, graphic design was quite charming in a strange sense like no no
2: i agree with that oh sure i think it it, for me it fits into the same box as fuche magnate of it's charming within the setting i think if it was it feels quite functional in a way that i feel like the the city of the broad shoulders would have been fine with that
0: This Looking at the box um, and the art design, it actually reminds me enormously of a game that uh, we reviewed on the site a while back called Arkwright, which is spelled A R K W R I G H T, which is the same thing of you run companies and manufacturers in kind of the 19th century, except whereas that was Victorian kind of industrial revolution um, era. And again, it was functional and it was very interesting economically, but it wasn't much fun. City of the Big Shoulders... Which also comes in like exactly the same dimensions as box. of box, yeah. It sounds like the the fun time version of Arkwright, and we liked Arkwright a bit, but this just sounds so much more electric.
2: It's really, it's really quite a lot of fun. The fact that you've got these um, these market fulfillments that are drawn out randomly and shift along, and it, it it's effectively has a system whereby it might be really easy to make a bunch of money quickly on making some, you know, shoes or something, but then. Then afterwards, diminishing returns. And also the fact that like you can just completely cap out the demand for something. If everyone is going mad for meat products, then eventually it'll get to a point where it's like, they're just not very valuable anymore because if you just filled the stops that. and that that won't come back it will just be like towards the end of the game it will just be like yeah like well done you've made a tremendous amount of pork steaks no one really wants them anymore because we've everyone's made too many and the fact that you have got this massive stack of different companies you can choose to start um you know choose one to start of the game but then choosing another one as you go there's a whole bunch of variety and it, you know it's it's funny because like, it's not like a massive asymmetrical thing. You look at these and they're only slightly different, but there's enough theme there to make it feel quite exciting of being like, I'm making oil, I'm making soap, I'm making clothes, um, I'm making machine parts, and them all being real companies from that era. Um, yeah, there's, it's, it very much feels like a love letter to a period of history in a way
0: that is um,
2: quite electric and quite exciting.
0: Yeah, you might not think that you want a love letter to uh, a game which the expansion adds, and I've just seen this, the Quaker Oats Company. Yeah. You know, it's what we always say, right? It's not about how exciting your theme is, it's about how exciting the designer thinks it is. And yes. clearly, City of the Big Shoulders is made by someone who loves Chicago and who loves companies that make, you know, tinned beef or mm-hmm. whatever. And that seems to come across certainly in the box that I'm looking at.
2: Yeah, no, it's it's very much a labour of love, and uh, yeah, it's it's yeah. I I I was cut, gutted really, and I've been saving to saving what I was to talk about this for a while because obviously not being able to play many physical board games at the moment. And this was definitely one of the most exciting things I played um, in in the times before. But I was really jonesing to, to get on this more. This is something I might be revisiting digitally at some point soon because I just I really want to play it again. Um, yeah, it's it's a great game. I think it's a great game. And I mean, obviously, the caveat of, I've only played it once with three people, but my Spider-Sense says, ooh,
0: yeah. I'm really excited. I'm going to try this out either digitally or uh, with human beings, with dangerous, risky, virus-filled human beings when uh, self-isolation lifts to some, to the extent that it allows board games. (laughs) This is a weird time that we live
2: in. Yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's City of the Big Shoulders. And yeah. Very cool. Very, very, very cool. Storming, husky, broad, happy, and fundamentally wearing hats.
0: So I have been playing a little bit of Last Bastion, which is by a famous designer called Antoine Bowser, who you might know for Hanabi or Seven Wonders. Um, but you also might know Last Bastion because it is a remake of a game called Ghost Stories. Uh, mm. Now, this is a cooperative game which never got the full review treatment on... Oh, I think it got a written review on Shut Up and Sit Down. Um, but uh, Ghost Stories was one of the games that actually got me into modern board games. It was, I think, my first co-op game. So, Matt, do you remember how you tried Pandemic and, was like, and were like, we're working together? What? Yeah. Um, Ghost Stories was that for me. Um, so, what Ghost Stories was, and really is again in Last Bastion because it's very much a, 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 just a straight remake with a, a little retheme. Ghost Stories was a game where all the players were monks in a Chinese village, and it was going to be attacked by wave after wave after wave of ghosts brought back to life by the evil sorcerer Wu Feng. Oh, that sounds like and- a nightmare. It, it's absolutely hell. Uh, so what you get is, in the start of Pandemic and a lot of co-op board games, you know where something goes wrong every round? Ghost Stories does that, where at the start of a player's turn, you place a new ghost on the board in one of the 12 spaces around your square village. Um, now, if I tell you that a good thing you can achieve on your turn is removing a ghost, but on every player's turn a new ghost appears, you get an idea of some of the pressure you're under. Um, More ghosts are constantly popping up. They all do bad things. Frequently, it's horrible stuff like, oh, we can remove this ghost because then that gives us access to this Chinese shop that we need. But if we kill that ghost, the power that it has when it dies is immediately put another ghost down. Like, It feels like, imagine a sort of a plumbing error in your bathroom where the like the washer on a pipe just goes and you know like water's just spraying out like it is in a sort of 1980s comedy and you're like putting your hands over it to try and stop the spray of water from just getting everything wet. Imagine that but with ghosts and that's basically ghost stories. Super fun, super mean and now kind of irrelevant because we have Last Bastion which is Antoine Bowser's new version of the same game but instead of being some Chinese monks who are trying to survive the night as ghosts attack, you are... Get ready, guys. Generic fantasy heroes trying to protect a generic fantasy castle from generic fantasy monsters. So rather than what Ghost Stories had, which was ghosts of, you know, fire, ghosts of death, ghosts of the forest, ghosts of the river, now we have... A dragon? Orcs and dragons and, yeah, you know, all of this stuff. Rather than what Ghost Stories had at the end, which was... Wu Feng was always going to show up last and you had to kill him and that was how you won the game but there were 12 different Wu Feng cards so it could be Wu Feng Master of Time it could be Wu Feng but just a horrible fiery demon now it's you know which warlord are you facing so in Last Bastion you might a big orc might turn up or a dragon or whatever. Um, you might notice from the tone of my voice as I describe this <laughs> that I am not as sold on the re theme of Last Bastion. No. And, well, I felt very seen by a tweet. I've written it down here, um, but a tweet by um, John Perkis, uh, who uh, creates board game content under the name Actual Lol. But uh, I'm paraphrasing his, paraphrasing his tweet, but he, it was along the lines of Oh, cool, a game where you run a shop? Yes. Oh, no, it's a fantasy shop. Uh, Or, oh, cool, it's a game set in a prison? Or, oh, oh, it's a fantasy prison where all the inmates (laughs) are, you know, elves and dark elves. Um, So, yeah, really, I don't have an enormous amount to say on Last Bastion because it's it's a a good co-op game. It's solid, but I very much um, got all my thoughts out when I reviewed Ghost Stories for this site. So if you search Shut Up and Sit Down Ghost Stories, you'll see my written review. And my opinion hasn't changed a great deal. But what I wanted to chat to you two about on the podcast is really the question of, am I being unreasonable? Does this make sense, you know, to have a game which I felt, you know, quite positively about, and it's still on my shelf, Mm. ghost stories, that is, and then to have a sequel which makes some very minor changes that do you make the game more balanced you know a little more flexible and more fun you know ghost stories would occasionally have turns where it was obvious what to do and they've smoothed some of that out in the last bastion so the decisions you're making are theoretically more interesting Mm -hmm. but in practice when i play it i just feel a bit sad and it just feels a bit dry you know what i mean
2: yeah i i think that sounds extremely familiar and i i feel like pandemic because it's one of those things it's it's a lot it's a lot what we talk about with mega games of being given not a character to play but a job and you know i don't really know much about the cdc i know more about the cdc now than i did a few (laughs) years ago uh but you just go well we're just a cool scientist team trying to stop a worldwide pandemic and it's like i've seen some films i can do that job in the context of this board game and because of that, it allows you to step into a different kind of pair of shoes. And I think as soon as you lose that laser focus of theme with a a cooperative game, it's a lot harder to, to get behind it. It's, it's interesting. I think it's, you almost want the reverse to be true. Um, as I find like it's maybe I've just,
0: what do you mean by the reverse?
2: Well, I mean that it's, Maybe I've just been spoilt by years and years and years and years of fighting orcs and dragons and stuff. But to me, there's just, there's nothing evocative about that anymore.
0: Um, Yes. That was was kind of what I had written down, right? So. I've not really thought about this or even vocalized it before, so this might make no sense. And if if not, I apologize. But the thing is, when you've got a theme like the original Ghost Stories had, because I mean, how many board games do we know where you all play Chinese Taoist monks who have to fight back a variety of Chinese ghosts? Yeah, like, exactly. It, it doesn't happen. And so, when you're dealing with a completely new theme like that, I guess it forces you to be imaginative and creative. You know, if I say you're playing the red monk and you have the power of earth, you mm-hmm. then. You know, there's, your brain doesn't have I- existing connections for like... If I was to tell you, okay, you're a ranger. You're like, yeah, done. I don't need to think about this. Mm-hmm. But if I tell you, you know, you're this sort of Chinese monk and you, uh, you know, you're going to start the game on the Buddhist temple, already your mind is thinking, oh, well, what does that look like? You know, I'm going to look at the art more closely. I'm going to look at the power of this tile because what does a Buddhist temple do? Um, turns out Buddha keeps us safe in a ghost attack. I mean, <laughs> also, I should stress... None of this is research. This is the original Ghost Stories is a French game put out like before, yeah. you know, Social Justice Warrior was even a term. So I'm sure it's problematic in a variety of ways. <laughs> However, the point I'm making is that if it's a new theme for a board game that you have not seen before, necessarily it becomes a little more evocative. Whereas all I see when I look at Last Bastion, for all the expensive art in it, is just sort of fantasy fluff. I can't connect to it. I can't engage because I've seen it so many times.
2: I think we've just been a bit spoiled by fiction sometimes. Um, or we just, I don't know, I, there's an interesting element to this, but I think it's, I it's think feel the same way. And I, I think largely it's because there is a disconnect between what people think is an interesting twist on theme and what is. Um, and you see this a lot, I think. I think that's it. I think a lot of people say, hey, what about, you know, what about this? But fantasy. And it's like, that's not, interesting um especially in an era now of like you know there being uh, literally a million dungeons and dragon podcasts that are doing stuff you know it's like a lot of these things yeah it's quite fun um but the idea of being like what if a kind of old school setting but some uh, anachronistic comedy of like, oh, there's, you know, modern things referenced in a time that wouldn't really be referenced here, etc. And it's like, yeah, that's cool. And it was cool in Monkey Island in 1990. And I'm sure like many, many years before that. And so I think sometimes the twist of what if elves but bad um, might seem novel to people. But I think if you've just been exposed to media for 20, 30 years, it just isn't. Um, it's, it's, the, it's just as, as trite as what if elves. And I I don't think,
0: yeah, sorry, go ahead. Well, no, one thing we can do is turn to uh, someone who is the youngest person on this podcast (laughs) by more than 10 years. Uh, Tom, uh, you you speak now as a representative of all youth. (laughs)
1: Um, I'm very used to this role. Good. Uh, What do you think of fantasy? Well, here's the thing. I was wondering, the question that I'd have for you about uh, Ghost Stories slash Last Bastion would be like, do you think that you would enjoy Last Bastion as much as you enjoy Ghost Stories if Ghost Stories never existed? Like, is it just because you've got the point of comparison that you're, like, not enjoying trite fantasy? Because I often find that I can ignore a kind of trite fantasy generic boring theme in a game if the mechanics are exciting. And do you think that, like, Ghost Stories is kind of... The design is aged as much as the setting is aged, if that makes sense.
0: (laughs) That is a really good question, and one I, I just don't feel qualified <laughs> to answer. It, it's interesting because all I can do when I look... So I'm not just fighting through the fact that they changed the theme. I'm also fighting through my nostalgia for Ghost Stories and how much I liked the design back in the day. Also, I played so much Ghost Stories that when I showed my friends Last Bastion and we played it as a three-player game, I, I had to shut up. I had to teach them the game and say, like, listen, if I play this with you... Because it's, it's sort of a pre-quarterbacking... Um, cooperative game you Mm. know which is to say co-op games now tend to have some mechanic to prevent a player who knows them better from just telling everyone else what to do Ghost Mm. Stories absolutely has nothing to stop that whatsoever so even when I played it you know Tom it's so difficult for me to engage with it just as a simple design if we remove it from the theme because I can't even play it properly because (laughs) I know how to play it which means when I show it to new people I can't even really interface with the design the whole thing I I think
1: pre deciding that you're not enjoying it as much because of the setting i guess
0: (laughs) yeah i mean yes there's a lot going on the whole thing is is a real mess um i was thinking that maybe i might have done a video review for last bastion but the more i engage with it the more it's just i just think if there was going to be a shut up and sit down review of last bastion like a proper video review of this design i think it would have to be one of you two because i'm Basically my critical brain is completely polluted by <laughs> by me loving the game and then also them doing something weird to the design. Uh, but if you've not played Ghost Stories and you have played Last Bastion then by all means leave a comment on the podcast on shutupandsitdown.com because I'd love to hear from you. We want those
1: clean-brained opinions. Yeah. I think exactly.
2: it's I think there's a weird area here though. I think that I actually like have an odd relationship with fantasy and with with this trad stuff because I I really love it sometimes and I think that within certain confines it's great fun. I think it's great fun actually for for antagonistic games to to have a, a very simple framework that people can just then make fun in their own half and be like, you know, I love swinging a big sword and killing goblins. I can get excited about that, but I think there's something about a collective struggle of having to work together and really crunch your minds together and get into the zone of solving a problem and, or solving a, a situation. That I think, if you don't have a really airtight, fascinating um, setting you can just drop people into, then you are just going through the motions and playing a game. And I think the cooperative games often, they don't work that well with that. I think you need to have um, such a solid theme to draw you into um, the scenario. Otherwise, I just, I personally find them boring. And it's why I think
0: Hanabi is just dull Anyway. (laughs) I think that's actually a pretty good point. um, Because when we talk about... uh, When I was talking earlier about Ghost Stories being a setting that necessarily immerses me simply because I haven't seen it before, um, there's something peculiar where in Ghost Stories, because it is just saying you're protecting a village, if as the ghosts swarm in and you start flipping over all the city tiles in the game, which is a feature I haven't described, ghosts in the previous game can haunt tiles, and then these essentially worker placement spaces that you're using get flipped over so they appear haunted and dark... Ghost Stories is simply a game that says this is a village of about 50 people. And if you fail, they're all going to die. And you'll die, but also the 50 people you're protecting die. That's like a, a curiously manageable number. And the first Ghost Stories expansion, White Moon, added actual villager tokens that actually died and who gave you a buff if you united the whole family. So if you got grandma and dad and the kid of the you know Wang family, all to safety, then they would give you a bonus. But if the grandma dies, there's no way you're ever gonna get the bonus because that family's been ruptured forever. Yeah. You know, it's but it's what you're describing, Matt. It's that idea that in a co-op game you need you need stakes. You need to be able to visualize something. Yeah. Well and
2: I think that it's like, you know, don't destroy the crystals of Quendor versus please don't let my grandma die. Exactly.
1: Jeez. Although the way that Quinn's just described uh the grandma dying was weirdly mechanical. Like if grandma dies, we don't get the bonus. <laughs> <laughs> i'm afraid you've lost the grandma bonus it's just how inheritance works
0: well, <laughs> you, well that's actually the one thing i will say on last bastion which is if anyone's uh, really into co-op games and is wondering whether to buy last bastion or ghost stories i wouldn't get too hung up on the fact that last bastion is a um, slightly refined design with a few tweaks Because the advantage of getting Ghost Stories, if you can find it, is not just that it's cheaper. The expansions for Ghost Stories, um, uh, Black Secret and White Moon, are both pretty good. And of course, Last Bastion doesn't have expansions and might never have expansions. So uh, if you were thinking of getting a new co-op game, it's not a no-brainer. Consider getting Ghost Stories and some expansions as opposed to Last Bastion.
2: So we have been exploring a world of digital games, digital monsters. Can you imagine such a thing? Um, I certainly couldn't until recently when it turned out that we couldn't physically be in the same place sometimes. And so digital games. You now,
1: were forced to realise that, I think.
2: I was. <laughs> and I think the thing is, I've not been fond of them in the past. And I'm, I still don't think that they are a good replacement for actual games. But We're going on a bit of a journey and lots of people have been messaging us um, after the podcast or on the website saying, Hey guys, you know, just, just, there's all these things you can do. Most people saying, check out tabletop simulator. Um, And obviously, yeah, we are doing this. Um, Myself and Tom and Quince a bit are going to be diving over the next few months into all of this stuff real hard and working out what are the best board game apps what are the best board game digital things to be doing what's the deal with some of those things because it's kind of complicated and kind of muddy and um and telling you about them and going into them and the first thing we've been doing is we've been playing through the ages the app by check games edition and would you check Games edition it out it's pretty great. It's really right? good.
1: It's so to, to give a kind of a brief explanation of what Through the Ages is, it's a kind of Euro game card drafting. I guess it's kind of got worker placement, but you place the workers over multiple turns and you never suck them back. So it's not really like worker placement at all. But the way the game works is you each take it in turns to draft cards from this big kind of array of different tiles which will have things like leaders or buildings or technologies or instant use bonus cards um, and then you'll play them into your civilization doing various different things like improving your production of iron or produce uh, producing more food or making your people happy but there's the way the game teaches you all of this is through this wonderful tutorial where vlada pops up in various little uh guises to teach you the rules of the game incrementally and as I was going through the rules I was like oh god I'm never going to understand this game because it gradually <laughs> increases the mechanics to a point of like how is this all going to fit together but when you get it I think it really really works and playing it asynchronously is I think probably the best way to play it Yes, we played I, it I agree in a sort of three maybe four hour bout it was long I seem to remember mm. playing it um in real time. And I think that you just sort of cuz that was our first game as well, we ended up getting quite um well I certainly felt like there was so much to consider between turns like I felt like I didn't have enough time to think. But in the asynchronous mode, not only do you have as much time as you want to think about stuff, you also get to take each turn kind of in isolation and look at the board state and go this is yeah. what I want to do and I'll do this this turn and then I'll worry about the consequences next turn. So there's less kind of grand forward planning because you're looking at it in little bursts, I find. Even me saying that sounds, it sounds kind of um, counterintuitive. But it does, it, I don't know, I think it's got, you've certainly felt that way, I think, in terms of yeah. playing it asynchronously.
2: I think it's, uh, it, it's you still have the strategy there to a degree, but it becomes much more of a tactical game, which it kind of is. Um you do have long-term plans, but as with any Euro game, it's, it's a good idea to throw them in the bin sometimes and just check,
1: go somewhere else when it's not working. Or sometimes you can be forced to throw them in the bin because the military mechanics in that game are brutal. <laughs> yeah, you're forced to throw it. It's like, I like you saying that,
2: yeah, when you put a worker in a place to work, you, you don't get them back. You can't get them off that building. I'm like, that's not true, Tom. When the armies from other players come into town and kill them, you have to remove them from those buildings because they're dead. Um, it is absolutely brutal in a really satisfying way it's been a while actually it's not true i've been playing a lot of stuff recently it's been quite brutal we've been talking about going back and playing games from 10 15 years ago and about how lots of these games are just mean in a way which is quite exciting and just be like hey um you didn't really take a good turn last turn which means this turn you're absolutely shafted <laughs> and and especially i did a bit of an experiment with this the first game we played of this, I thought I'd try something that is impossible to do. A part of this experiment of, of trying digital board games, or games that are a bit like board games, is trying to find the ways in which they can do things that board games do well, but also looking at the spaces in which they can do things that board games can't. And with this, what I try to do, because it's a fully run game, it's not like Tabletop Simulator where you still have to manage the game yourself, It won't let you do things you can't do. It's an app. Um, I tried to play my first game of Through the Ages, not knowing any of the rules. (laughs) (laughs) Just jumped into it and just had to work it out as I went, which I'm not going to lie was really hard. <laughs> uh, I initially thought I had it clocked until it started doing this stuff with blue boxes and yellow dots and yep. telling me that people were angry and that uh, that corruption had overwhelmed the industry. And, <laughs> and I was like, I don't know what those mechanics are yet, but I guess I need to work that out three turns ago. Um, so that was really interesting um, as a kind of exercise to be like, can I, can I just grok this game? Uh, having played a bunch of other games like it? And the answer is no. It's a really complicated game. And the main thing I'm taking away from the app is I really don't think I would like to play this game as a board game. No. I, because, was, just,
0: yeah. I, was, I was waiting for the time to mention, of course, we have a video review of this on uh, the Shut Up and Sit Down YouTube channel, which is not particularly positive. And I think one of the reasons why was, uh, Paul said, you know, it has too many components. It takes too long. And mm. uh, exactly what you're saying, Matt.
2: Yeah, it just has so many different systems, so many different economies. Um, I just the idea of setting this game up yeah. um,
1: is hellacious. It's like a bookkeeping nightmare, basically. Yeah, like, the, the game takes care of all of that for you, and it just says no, you can't do that. But I can imagine that people could really stumble into accidentally cheating a lot in that game. Yes, because I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, various different mechanics are going to play out, like the the way that corruption works, which is if you have too much, too many resources in your civilization um, at any one time, you get corruption where you lose some of those resources. But keeping track of that, because different like, let me make sure that I'm getting this right you can have different uh, resource cubes can be worth different amounts depending on what building they're put on. Mm -hmm. So like making that calculation, then working out if you're going to face corruption, then how much of that you should get rid of. It's like oh my god, maths, nightmare, bookkeeping and that happens on everyone's turn individually. It's mad.
2: Yes, and all of that stuff just disappears uh, with the with the app; it just melts away. Mm. But despite that, when we tried to play a game synchronously, it still took about two and a half hours. Yeah. And I think partly that's because I didn't have any idea what I was doing. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, playing it asynchronously is wonderful because it's it's chewy enough that it's really quite a tricky puzzle, mm. and also it means you don't have to worry about analysis paralysis you know like when we played it together on skype it just felt like when i was taking ages on my my go i felt very self-conscious of that felt very aware of that but obviously being able to just sit and toy with your go Mm -hmm. i've become addicted to it now i've been playing so much of it on my phone and on my computer (laughs) uh, all linked together and it's i don't think it's a good digital board game um if i'm completely honest i because it because it doesn't capture that feeling of a shared space and it doesn't it doesn't work in that setting as we tried it you know it's it's not a yeah. a fun thing to to toy around with and i think part of that is because you don't see people's thought processes mm. the way that the game as an app shows you is when someone has finished their turn and done all of their undoing and redoing until they're very happy with the what they've done in the order of it it then plays it out for you but it means you don't get any of that fun that you have with a Euro game of of watching somebody pick something up and intensively go, maybe I and then going, oh no, and then <laughs> laughing because they're having a bad time with that card they thought was going to be great. Um and without that, it just feels quite flat and strange. But as mean, a It takes yeah. that
1: little step where it it shows you, I think I'm sure this is obviously the case in the tabletop game, but it shows you the the cards that other people have in their hands. So there is mm-hmm. a, a little bit of being able to see a little bit of what they're going to do in the future, but not enough. You know, you're quite right. It's it's like, an, you know, in if you're playing like a war game, it's like watching someone pick up a piece and put it in your territory and then go, nah, actually, maybe not. I'm putting it back. And it's got, yeah. you'd want to see that in a game like this where like military numbers are so important and mm-hmm. like what tech people have is important and that kind of thing. Because you can watch people... Yeah. I can imagine, turn their strategy on a dime, <laughs> you know?
2: Yeah. Well, that's it. It's also just seeing people watch things, seeing people reacting when a card comes up in the tableau of things. You know, it's like all of these things that that give a game like this life on a table um, are kind of been stripped away by it. But as an asynchronous tap it and play it thing um, and log in and, and play through games, it's absolutely delightful. I think it's it's really interesting in the fact that I can't imagine wanting to play it as a board game, as a video game, It's really quite great, but I don't think it's even great as a digital board game, which is interesting because it's a game which is inherently a board game design, but doesn't tick the boxes that I I personally uh, would want that to. Although I'm hooked to it, but I'm also so bad at it. Tom, you've beaten me (laughs) unbelievably every time we've played it. You know, this will make you... Yesterday I was like, I just want to play another game, but... I I just want to play a game quickly and and try and understand this game a bit better, so I can not be as bad at it. And I went and played against the easiest AI on the game, and I
1: lost. <laughs> See, here's the thing, Matt. I did the same thing, and I won. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I did it again, and
2: then I won. Yeah. Um, but I only lost by a couple of points, but still, right. it was just like just felt I am bad at this game. <laughs> like I, I, I can't quite understand why I'm bad at it. Um, but I think part of it is because I'm I'm quite good at like reading visual information in a Euro game, and I think because you lose all of that physicality of like little piles of cubes on things. Yeah. And it's replaced by a picture of a hut with two lights on, which means there's <laughs> two. It means it's less easy for me to just look at the state of the board and go, my military's too big or like this is, they have got too yeah. many resources sitting there. And I lose sight of the overview of the machine um, in a way that I usually wouldn't in a Euro game, which is, uh, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's something about the way it's been transmogrified from, a table full of cards and cubes into this slightly picturesque digital video game that makes me unable to understand mm. it on a very basic
0: level. It reminds me of when uh, I play... It's it's the opposite of what you're talking about, kind of. But when I play video games that are clearly inspired by card games or, or tabletop war games, of, because of the amount of automation the video game does... I am frequently like, wait, what equation are you using for? Like, what yes. algebra are you using in your system to say that this card turns into this one? Give me the maths. I want to like. I almost want to look at the code, which is sort of, it, it's related, but also not what you're talking about at all.
2: I know what you mean, though. I know what you mean. It's uh, it's a slight disconnect, and whilst it does a really good job of explaining to you exactly what's going on, um, in terms of like, well, this does this, this does this. There's never any complaint or query about that. I think it's just. It's just as simple as not having piles of cubes makes makes it really hard for me to understand what I've done in a way like to yeah. not see those glaring errors of being like Matt why do you have eight minds you know like <laughs> it's it's quite easy to forget that stuff somehow. Well you know even uh,
0: within Euro games do you guys do this where if you're playing a Euro game which has like three different resources and four tracks and all of this junk your move the physical objects of your that you own around as like prompts. Like if I really want to use a card, I'll put it in a certain place in the yes. oh, end yeah, yeah. and all yes. of that stuff. Yes.
2: Yes. That's another thing of just being like, well I'll put those cards here because I know I'm going to do that with it there. And yeah, without that stuff, it kind of feels strange. And also I think just because of the fact that you have all of these economies and meters going up and down, it's just you know, simple things like me eating up too much of my food and my population getting low, because you're not the person who's physically removing the cubes, which then reveal the minus three number, which <laughs> means you're then going to be starving next turn. Um, it's It's easy to do it without thinking about it because it's that thing of like you know yeah do an action and now do the counter action. it's when you lift up that second cube in a game that makes you go do i actually want to do this you know and mm. it, in some ways it's not as bad because you can keep undoing and redoing these actions Nothing's nothing set in stone really um but it does mean I do a lot more undoing and doing than I would ever do in a board game. You know, yeah. it's it's not like think about an action, then do it. It's like, I do a thing, undo, do a thing, undo, do a thing, undo. Which again, is, is quite fun, quite satisfying, but it doesn't feel very board gamey. Yeah. I feel like if you did that whilst playing a board game, uh, everyone you were playing with would be driven <laughs> mad. It's a good learning
1: <laughs> tool as well, though. You know, the undo and redo. I think that must have helped substantially when you were first trying to learn. Oh, to yeah, the game. yeah. And I, in a sense that it, it helped you actually like uh, and me because i barely understood the game as well score actually like score some points in a satisfying way because if the game if you were playing it face to face you'd make your decision and then just be like well i guess i'm gonna lose all these points because i made a dumb play and i can't like redo um yeah but it's it's really interesting looking on on bgg as well because it's it's really highly rated on board game geek like it's really really high it's the
2: second most popular strategy game or is it was.
1: But like all of the reviews, I was looking at at this earlier, all the reviews are like, yeah, this is a masterpiece in the app. Like (laughs) everyone that's reviewing it is saying, yeah, oh yeah, it's great, but there's no way you can play this on the table. You've got to play it in the app, Um, which is interesting. It is a have feast. you
0: guys played a video game called Offworld Trading Company? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that is one of the few video games that I feel I want as a board game because right. the clicks per minute required are so preposterous. But I think <laughs> the nut of those systems, like, give me the opposite. Like,
1: you know, video games can have through the ages. That's fine. Give board games Offworld Trading Company. You know <laughs> what I mean? It did. That game uh, melted my brain. That was like pre my like big interest in board games. I think when I was playing Offworld Trading Company. Oh, really? And that, it was rubbing the uh, the part of my brain that doesn't understand stocks and shares, the part <laughs> of my brain that doesn't understand video games, just together in a horrible way. <laughs>
2: But yeah, we will be continuing our exploration of digital games. And I'll just briefly mention, yeah, we have been playing um, some Tabletop Simulator. Tom's been playing a bit, I've been playing a bit. Mm-hmm. It's a lot better than it was a few years ago, I've got to say. Um, it's still kind of shonky around the edges. I still have some funny feelings about some of it because of the nature of how, you know, some a very small handful of games are purchasable as official things within it, but then the rest of them are mods, and when you have a mod... There's n- not really any easy way to tell if a mod of a game has been put up there by the game's creators or the game's publishers, or by somebody who's just ripped it from the game and uploaded it, and also the way that it uses a file-sharing service so that if even if something gets removed from the mod list as a cease and desist or whatever, anyone who has it, if they load it up and invite other people into the game, it will just send all of the assets to the other people so it's kind of has a kind of torrenty vibe to it as well which is interesting but there's something that rubs me slightly the wrong way about the fact that it's a sort of service which also costs like 15 pounds to buy and the money goes to the people who made the app you know the the program which is not that well made i don't think it's i i don't know
0: Sorry, do you know if Tabletopia and Board Game Arena give money to publishers or designers whose games they use? I don't know. No, this is this is it is a long
2: process at the moment. We're actually having conversations with publishers and designers and asking people how they feel about these things. And um, I mean, honestly, as well, this is a clear thing I should mention. Uh, we've had a bunch of emails back and forth with people and already most people we've spoken to are absolutely fine with Tabletop Simulator and they don't mind the fact that people are, putting up unauthorized versions of their games digitally because in their mind they're like hey you know the more people who can play our game the better they might buy in the future they might buy not but whatever um and especially i think right now with the fact that games are unavailable and it's hard as people play with each other um i think people are really open to it and any way people can this isn't true for all publishers or all designers so it's not carte blanche to um to go mad but yeah we talked to like um uh, isaac Childress of gloomhaven says you know he's more than happy for people right now to be playing gloomhaven in the you know the unofficial tabletop simulator mod, if people are at a loose end he's like yep you know if people play the game great um so i think that's really interesting especially because that mod in particular is very accomplished and does a lot of the work within it like it's adding up numbers for you it's it's doing it's got a lot of kind of coded stuff in it because for those of you who haven't checked out tabletop simulators. some of them are very much like here's some basic systems for picking up cards shuffling them drawing them you've got to know all the rules you've got to run the game just like you would with a board game whereas some of them have some level of coded systems within them often quite basic stuff of like putting decks of cards back where they should be in a, in a neat way or you know um, adding up numbers for you or when you roll a dice just like just immediately telling you what the total is and doing a bit of the maths in in its head for you or uh, but there's a lot of stuff in the Gloomhaven one of it like you know running setting up scenarios for you opening new rooms and auto-populating them with enemies when you discover them lots of really quite cool stuff um, so it's it's Interesting. And I think we're definitely going to be delving into it some more. And I think the thing that was missing for me in the through the ages um, kind of app style experience that you found here is the sense of table presence, is the sense of being able to see other people's pointers moving around on a table and, and look at people doing stuff. And it's strange. And it does some stuff which is really idiosyncratic in a way. Uh, the fact that you can just move your point around the table and shuffle eight decks of cards in about a second is bizarre. Um, also leads to just some really quite sweet and funny things of, you know, reaching across the table and shuffling someone else's cards, which is something you'd just never do in a board game. But if you know that their deck needs to be shuffled now, then you just do it. And it's like, oh, wait, what? Like, Or even the fact that when you need to set up a new round, you need to draw five cards. There's nothing stopping... Three or four people drawing all of the and drawing and placing f- four cards at the same time, which obviously, if you try and do that with real human hands, <laughs> you gonna, you're gonna get into a pickle. I was, so there's um, something trying to teach,
1: yeah, um because we we decided to play root in Tabletop Simulator with the new expansion factions um and obviously i needed to teach the new factions to people that have been playing root before but there was something wonderful about knowing that everyone can look at the faction board at the same time as if all four of us were <laughs> sitting in one person's chair that kind of benefit to teaching games in the sense that you can show everyone components at the same time because they can just use their camera to look at it like real close up is kind of Helpful and it counteracts The the negative which is teaching games In tabletop Simulator is really hard <laughs> Like teaching a new game To people over Skype Is tricky at best I Yeah mean, no it is um, We played Unmatched uh, Off the strength of your review we were like let's give this a go um, And we were playing some Unmatched And teaching the rules Which for like a rule book that's like 10 pages Or whatever took about 25 minutes Because it's hard wow. to keep people's attention But then the game of Unmatched Uh, that we actually played, they were people that don't play that many board games, but still took about an hour, maybe an hour and a half, which for unmatched, right, like doesn't, feels kind of crazy. And our game of Root was about three and a half hours as well. Oh no, no, no. (laughs) This is the thing is, I think that playing games in tabletop simulator and playing digital games gives you that room to like think and stuff like that, which is why the asynchronous play is so good because you can just sort of think on your own. But also just means that games could just drag out and out and out for a long time in my experience yeah. so far maybe uh making games shorter will come with playing it more in TGS. um we'll see
2: yeah there's there's some interesting stuff like i i think for smaller and lighter things particularly um i played a little um i can't remember the name of it but i'm gonna play some more of it anyway because i quite liked it but a little roll and write style thing which was very fun within that and i also just went a little look around and stuff like the quacks of quedlinburg uh one that you think actually this looks like it'd be really fun really speedy Mm. um would work really well it's just Uh, yeah i I feel like
0: quacks would be so annoying if rather than reaching into a bag myself and removing you know a token that screws me over if the game does that for me (laughs) if the game reaches into a virtual bag and you know ruins me i'm going to be very upset
2: yeah, it's yeah. that's an odd one. And also it's some funny stuff. And it's stuff like this that kind of bothers me about the fact that Tabletop Simulator as a program is very successful um, and paid for. Uh, it's the fact that there's just some functionality which you just think, oh, like, like it has the bags, but the bags are effectively like decks, which means whenever you put a new piece into the bag in this mod, you have to like you have to shuffle the bag. Otherwise, otherwise the first thing you will draw is the thing you just put back in. Oh, like a tube of Smarties. Yeah, and I think, okay, maybe this is the person who made the mod for this is not has not done a good job of it sort of thing, but I just, there's something about the overall clunkiness of the interface and how it all works and how some things it does really well and some things it just doesn't do at all. That just makes me think, come on now for a paid product, this could be better. It's one of those things where I very rarely get all kind of product but I think as a service, it's pretty cool as a product. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to playing around with it some more and just finding out what it works for and what it doesn't. And we've even got some ideas that of a, of doing a, um, a video series partially using. I'm not going to talk about the game name yet because we have, uh, we're reaching out to the, the game's publishers and designers to find out if they would be okay with us doing that. Um, because if they're not, then we won't. Um, and I don't want to <laughs> create any drama here. So, but uh, I think it could be interesting over the next couple of months to, to try and use some of these programs, um, maybe in combination with actual physical games as well, to create some sort of hybrid video series stuff. Um, and become the cyborgs that we all must now be in this digital contagion zone. And that's all we have time for this week on the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. But before you go, we've got a couple of great things that have been popping up on the internet from us recently. Quinn's did a fantastic roundup of five, sort of maybe more than
0: five. Was it five and a it bit? Was, it was six technically <laughs> because there's a, st- there's a sort of standalone expansion. Well, technically it's five considering the fifth game I just didn't really review. But Fair. everything can be explained. Uh, certainly, um, if you have not seen the hype around Air, Land and Sea, uh, I covered that. And, Airland and Sea, I just saw in the news recently, Arcane Wonders, uh, maybe as a result of uh, that video we made selling out uh, Airland and Sea around the world, uh, they have made it a free print and play game. Mm. So if you wanted to try Airland and Sea, you'll just get a great little two player card game, then you can download it, print it off, slap it together in uh, your very own home.
2: And hey, I'll tell you what. There's not even that many cards in it. So I think in terms of print and
0: play, that's a really hot one because I look at a lot of these print and plays and I'm like,
2: yeah, but that's a lot of printing. <laughs> a lot <of> cut out.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm uh, working on a, a, a video of um, solo games at the minute. And after that, I'll probably do something on print and play games. But I tell you what, there's nothing sweeter to see on a print and play game than just like, this is two pages of A4. Mm-hmm. Yes.
2: mm-hmm. Perfect. So yeah, um, that's five of the recent great hot new little card games uh, that you've been talking about. That's exactly what the video's called. (laughs) Hot little, tight little, hot little games. Check them out. Uh, That's a lovely little video you should check out, especially if you are locked in a place with just one other person. The horror. Um, And also, yeah, I've been doing some streaming recently on Twitch. It's been pretty lo-fi. I've been assembling a Gloomhaven uh, Balsawood wood insert for a box. Why? Uh, I kind of wanted to get it made, and I've been basically testing the equipment. We're going to be using some of the video equipment to be doing some remote stuff soon. But in the meantime, if you want to tune in at the moment, we are just streaming every Thursday 3 p.m. UK time on Twitch and that's twitch.tv forward slash shut up and sit down, I think. You'll be able to find it. It's fine. But if you're at a loose end and you fancy popping in and watching a man slowly lose his mind whilst assembling boxes, then you can do that next Thursday. And uh, after that, we're going to be doing a whole bunch of stuff on there. So pop along, hang out with some people, have a nice time. And that's all we have time for. And we'll see you next time in a couple of weeks. Take care. Goodbye. Goodbye,
0: everybody.